We've been journeying through the book of Nehemiah. And, of course, Nehemiah talks about the rebuilding of the wall, and we're not building any walls with brick and mortar. But we are called to be a part of building the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is going to build his church. The only question is, are we going to be a part of it? And I pray that we would say, Lord, Lord, uh, fill me with your spirit. I want to be involved in that great work in the kingdom of God. We turn to chapter 3 in Nehemiah. There's 32 verses. I'm just going to read the first five verses. And when I finish, you'll, you may understand why as we look at this interesting chapter of, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung the doors. They consecrated the wall and the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanath built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoahites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. And that's how the rest of the chapter goes. And there's a lot of names I can't pronounce, so we're going to pause in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that it wasn't just a, a dream that Nehemiah had. It wasn't just your plan, but it's a plan that really turned into action. A plan that really resulted in, in, in the building of that wall. And Father, I pray that you would teach us today that vision needs to turn into action. We need to be involved in the work of your kingdom, using the gifts that you've given to us, uh, finding our place along the wall, uh, wherever it is, oh God, that you would have us to, to use the abilities and the resources you've given to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would open now this word to us, uh, use it to encourage and to challenge and to strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. There are times when reading through Scripture that we come to the place where we ask the question, I wonder why the Lord put this into His Word. And one of those times is when you come to the genealogies, right? If you were here uh, oh, in December, we preached on the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1. And I mentioned then, you come to a genealogy and you ask the question, okay, What's the lesson here? How does this apply to, to my life? And that's kind of the question that, as I studied this passage, I thought, okay, Lord, we're going through this section. Do you want me to just skip this chapter and then stand at the door and say, have you asked me, Pastor, why did you skip part of God's Word here? Why did you skip chapter 3? I said, no, I can't do that. But as you study it, you say, okay, what's the lesson here? Lord, what do you want to teach us? Through this chapter where there's so many different names mentioned and places along the wall and, and all, these, all these details. As I studied this passage of Scripture, I think I know why God put these details in His Word. It's one thing to know God's vision for ministry, but it's another thing to carry it out. 
It's one thing to say, this is what the Lord wants us to do, because it's very clear in His Word. But it's another thing to say, okay, let's do it. (laughs) The end of chapter 2, we find that statement in verse 18, where the people said, let us arise and build. Here they do it. Here's where the the, the rubber meets the road, as we would say. This is where faith is is turned into action. God's vision for Nehemiah here becomes a, a reality. I would suggest to you there are three lessons that we can learn as we look at this chapter together. The first lesson is this, that God's vision turns into action through massive mobilization. Massive mobilization. You don't have to examine this chapter in great detail to notice that there really was, I think, an amazing response to Nehemiah's call to rise and build. There were over 40 different groups of people who worked on different sections of the wall, and they came from various places and many different walks of life. Now, because this was the wall of Jerusalem, you can expect that there were people from Jerusalem there, and and indeed there were. But there were people from other towns as well. Raymond Brown says people came from eight different places up to a 15 or 20 mile radius. The enterprise could not have been attempted without outside help. Volunteers came from Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Mizpah, Zenoah, Beth Hakarim, Beth Zur, and Caleb. Then he goes on to speak of the significance of this, and I think this is good. He says, It was of little direct or immediate benefit to them if Jerusalem walls were repaired. They had their own fields to cultivate, and farms and workshops must be maintained. But they left their homes and families in order to offer themselves for service in the city. If a worker lived in Jerusalem, it was an obvious advantage that the walls should be repaired, but not for these people from other towns. It was work which could benefit others far more than themselves. And yet they came. They came from various towns. They came with various occupations. I find it interesting to notice all the different uh, types of people. You have priests mentioned three times. You have rulers mentioned seven times. You have goldsmiths. You have perfume workers. You have guards. You have merchants. You have Levites. You have temple servants. And so as you look at this chapter, then you see that lesson. They came from all different places. They came from various occupations, but they had one goal in mind. And that was to work together to rebuild that wall that had been broken down. Now, if you examine this chapter a little bit more carefully, you will notice also that there were some who missed out on the blessing. There were some that would not answer the call that Nehemiah gave. And one example of that we find in verse 5, where we see the nobles of Tekoa. Look at verse 5. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Now, what's interesting is that phrase that says that they did not support the work is literally they did not bring their neck to the work. (laughs) It's an agricultural 
imagery here. And one author says it describes the stiff-necked ox refusing to be yoked. Who were these? They were the nobles. They were the what the the uppity ups. They were the the, the leaders. Uh, they did not want to put their neck out for this. They did not want to be yoked. They did not want to be involved in building the wall. And they missed out on the blessing, didn't they? They missed out on the blessing. I think of Jesus when you think of someone who was willing to be involved, willing to serve, willing to put his neck on the line, willing to, to get his hands dirty. I, I'm reminded of John chapter 13. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So the pathway to blessing is the willingness to get your hands dirty, the willingness to dig in, the willingness to serve. The willingness to say, Lord, you've, you've given your life for me. The least I can do is, is give my life for you and for the building of, of your kingdom. The nobles of Tekoa. Oh no, they weren't going to clean up rubble. They weren't going to rebuild the wall. They were much too important for that. But there were so many that said, let's do it, Nehemiah. Let's rise and build. Let's get involved in the work of the kingdom and it was a massive mobilization. And I believe that's what we need in, in, in our world today, don't we? We have so many people that, that come to church on Sunday and they, they put in their hour and they say, you know, I've done God a favor. That should certainly count for something. It's much more than that. It's a willingness to say, Lord, use me. Lord, I want to be involved in the work of your kingdom. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. I'm willing to... To serve wherever you would place me, Lord. Lord, hereby, send me. I remember when we first started meeting in the gym. You know who took the leadership on this? It was the church council. They set up down there for, I think it was a couple months, and then were involved in, 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 in leading. Everyone in that church council was on a setup group. And that blessed my heart. Because it said to me that the guys that have been placed in leadership in this church, they're not going to look at a job like that and say, well, you know, I mean, we're deacons and we're trustees, you know, we're spiritual leaders here. Let's get the rest of the people to do that. Oh, no. They led by example. They weren't like the nobles of Tekoa. <laughs> Let's get someone else to do this. We're not going to we're not going to put our neck into this yoke. A massive mobilization. That's what we need today. That everyone who names the name of Jesus would say, Lord, here, here's my life. Lord, use me. God's vision turns into action through a massive mobilization. Secondly, God's vision turns into action through effective coordination. Effective coordination. 
It's one thing to have a huge response like Nehemiah did, but that's really just the first step. Once the people responded to the call, they needed to be organized in a way that they could work together effectively. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, the gift of administration, didn't he? He was able to coordinate all these people so that that work in rebuilding that wall around Jerusalem was done efficiently. A couple of things we can notice about what he did. One thing is this, that each worker was given a specific place to work. They all had an area where they were responsible to rebuild. And I found it interesting. There is this phrase in the chapter that is repeated over and over again. Next to him, next to them, next to him, next to them. I started counting and I gave up because there were so many of them. (laughs) So there was this order to rebuilding the wall. People were assigned a, a certain place, a certain ministry, a certain area of work. Next to him, next to them, next to him, next to them. The picture we have is, is, is kind of like a fine-tuned machine or maybe a, a choir or, or, or an orchestra. The workers knew where they fit and they did their jobs with, with enthusiasm. And then another thing I notice here is that each worker was given a task that he was likely motivated to do. For example, if you were a priest... And you were involved in rebuilding the wall. Where would you want to build? Verse 1 tells us where they built, by the sheep gate. I mean, that's where the animals came in. That was their ministry. They were actually uh, paid, right, by the sacrifices that were made. And it would be very natural for those priests to be involved in that sheep gate because that was their passion. That was part of, of what they were doing. Another thing you notice is throughout this section, you'll find many references to to people making repairs next to their house. Okay, right out in front of their house. That's where they were rebuilding. And if you have any pride about what you do, you want your house to look good, right? You want things to look well in front of your house. And so those people had a passion for what they were doing. And I started thinking about ministry and involvement in the kingdom of God. And and I think that's an important principle, isn't it? That we are plugged in, that we are involved in a work, in a ministry that we have a passion for. It is difficult. Have you ever been put in a position where you had no passion for? Involved in something that was just not your gift. And you just said, you know, this this is really work. This is really hard. And maybe it came because there was an announcement in church, you know, we really need workers here. We really need helpers here. And, and, and so finally say, oh, okay, if nobody else will do it, I will, with a willing heart. And then you get involved and you think, oh my. Why did I say yes to this? Any of you ever said that? Why did I say yes to this? But when you're involved in a ministry that you have a passion for, isn't it a joy? I love coming to work because this is where I fit. This is where God has given me a passion. What's it for you? Music? Is it youth ministry? Is it administration? Is it missions? Is it evangelism? Is it mentoring? Is it 
nursery coordinator. Is there anybody here that has a passion for that? <laughs> when you're involved in something you have a passion for, I'll tell you what, it makes a difference. It really does. And Nehemiah understood that. As people were placed in various situations along the wall, they were in a position where this is where I fit. This is, this is my passion. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best I can with the gifts that God has given me where the Lord places me. So massive mobilization led to effective coordination. Those are bigger words than I usually use, but anyhow, massive mobilization to effective coordination. You're probably wondering if I'm trying to impress you this morning, but it seemed to fit. Thirdly, God's vision turns into action through sincere appreciation. Nehemiah had such a burden for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt that he appreciated the hard work of the builders. And I see this in two ways. Nehemiah knew where the workers were working. He knew what they were doing. He was aware of the sacrifices they made. And that is obvious as you see all the details of this chapter. Nehemiah knew exactly where each group of builders was working. He mentions all kinds of workers by name in this chapter. And he even mentions some of their fathers and grandfathers. I think that's significant. Reminds me of Pastor Lee. He seems to know everything about you. Your name, your nickname, your parents' names, your grandparents' names, your cousins' names, and where your uncle served back in 1954. When students come to Bible school, they get into Pastor Lee's class and they, and they say their names. He's got a whole history of them. He can, he can tell you all. Oh, is he here today? You're, duck, you're ducking down, aren't you? I got a new name for you, Pastor Lee. Pastor Lehemiah. It almost sounds thin, doesn't it? Lehemiah. Yeah? Nehemiah knew that the men of Tekoa, for example, built two sections of the wall. He knew that Shalom had the help of his daughters. I think that's neat. I can't imagine there were many workers who felt like they were off in some obscure place and nobody knew what they were doing. That happens sometimes, doesn't that? People involved and kind of off the beaten path, behind the scenes, ministries, and nobody knows what they're doing and nobody thanks them. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. Not only did Nehemiah know what they were doing, Nehemiah made known what the workers were doing. He documented their efforts in this historical record. So what we read here as part of Scripture is partly Nehemiah's recording of his appreciation for all of these workers. Named them, where they worked, what they did. I think that's significant. And it reminds me of what Paul did in his epistles. How many times does he mention individual people in his letters and says something about their service, their ministry? 
a lot, doesn't he? The greatest example of that is Romans 16. Ever read Romans 16? I'm going to read the first 16 verses to you. It's a longer passage, but by the time I'm done, you'll get the point. Listen to this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and, and Statius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. I wonder if they were twins, huh? Workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia. Nearest and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. I've always wondered what that was. All the churches of Christ greet you. How many names do you think he mentioned there? I didn't count them. There's a lot of them, right? And almost all of them, he had something to say about their ministry, something to say about their service. It's recorded here for all of us to read of of how Paul appreciated his fellow workers. Now, obviously, we give ultimately the glory to God. But we also ought to thank God and let people know that we appreciate them, that we're thankful for their service. Because everybody needs encouragement, right? Everybody does. I read a story about a man who was in prison for three years. And when he got out, he was greeted by the mayor. And he was wondering what was going to happen when he came out of prison and met people from his town. And all the mayor said was, hello, I'm glad to see you. How are you? And the man kind of well, I'm fine, and then, then they parted. A few years later, this man that had been released from prison met this mayor by chance in another town. And the fellow, a former prisoner said, I want to thank you for what you did for me when I came out of prison. And the mayor didn't even remember. And he said, well, what did I do? He said, you spoke a kind word to me. And it changed my life. Oh, isn't that interesting? He didn't even remember it. 
But you spoke a kind word to me. And it changed my life. Many of you have made a special commitment to be an encourager. To encourage others. And I've been on the receiving end of that more than I ever deserve. Notes and emails and texts and words of encouragement and on and on. All of us can be that kind of person. And there are all kinds of people around us that, that need that encouragement. And I think Nehemiah really, really exemplifies that well. As he challenged the people to come and build, and they said, let us rise and build. And then he organized that missionary effort. And then as he recorded here, all these names and all that they had done, showing appreciation for those involved in, in the body of Christ. And I just want to say I appreciate all of you. Your involvement in the life of our congregation some of you are more upfront in music and preaching and teaching. Some of you work behind the scenes and some of you are involved in things that maybe nobody notices. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for being willing to put your neck out and be involved and get your hands dirty and dig in and say, I'm willing. What do you want me to do? That's what happened here. And let's not lose sight of all the details and all the names and miss the lesson. Here's a group of people. Let us arise and build. And they said, let's do it. And they did. Pastor Mobley, you've got a project there on the campus of your schools coming up, right? Building a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Building a, building a gymnasium there. Maybe God wants some of you to be involved. It's going to take massive mobilization, right? It's going to take all of us being involved. Coordinating all those workers and so forth. And showing appreciation, too, for what God is doing through His people. So, get your hands dirty. <laughs> Say, Lord, use me. How can I be a part of building your kingdom? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we see in this uh, great text, this great chapter of putting the vision into action, uh, getting involved, Lord, in, in rebuilding. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be a part of your kingdom. Uh, we're a body, and each of us has a part, each of us has a place. Give us a passion, Lord, for the ministry that you've given to us. Help us to find joy in serving you. And I pray that you would give the fruit for labor. Lord, you're the one that builds your church. Thank you that we can be a part of it in using the gifts that you've given to us. Lord, encourage and strengthen, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.